Good morning, everybody, for the second time, kind of. Um, so we're going to be continuing our series in 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21. Just to recap, since like I've said, everything builds in Scripture. And this section, again, it, it starts off with uh, kind of a transition word. 17 starts off with and. And so it's in conjunction with the preceding thoughts. And so the preceding thoughts were, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being ready, which builds on the preceding thoughts. And so just a refresher that he is writing to people in exile. And what he's saying where he's building with this is he's like, look, this is the living hope, your salvation that you've been called to. Therefore, this is how you ought to respond. And so now we're in a section of this letter where he's laying out the appropriate response and life of a believer in light of our hope of salvation in Jesus. And in verse 17, verse 16, he just finished with, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And that was where we wrapped up last week. This call of the believer is just pure and simple holiness, set apart entirely for God. And then in verse 17, if you'll read along with me, the words will be on the screen, open your own Bibles. Uh, but this is the ESV version, and it says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beauty, the power of it, the conviction of it, the teaching of it, all the ways that you use your word, God. We ask that you would use your word this morning in our lives and our hearts. Refine us continually make us more like Jesus. We submit to you in this, God. Give me your words. Hide me up here. Whatever is blocking the ears or the hearts of those of us gathered, remove that, Lord. May we come before you in a continuation of worship to learn from you. We want to be like Jesus. We need you to do that in our lives. So we ask that in this time, we would be holy, set apart for you, and that you would use this for your glory and for your kingdom advancement. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves without fear throughout the time of your exile. But I want to start not in that first idea. I want to start in the second idea there or the third idea, really. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I don't have anything to add here. I don't, I don't have an illustration. I don't have an anecdote. I don't have clever wordplay. I don't have an acronym. Because that verse doesn't need any of that. We just need to sit and realize that we have been ransomed with the blood of Christ. It's that simple. 
You ask the question, why? Why should I respond in these ways? Peter, you're laying out hard stuff. You're laying out difficult stuff. Why? There's the why. We respond in this way because we have been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. If that doesn't fill you with zeal, if you're a believer and that doesn't stir your heart to zeal for the Lord, for the glory of Christ, for his kingdom advancement, for his bride, quite frankly, nothing will. I mean, I really, I can't think of a single thing that, to, that would motivate you if that doesn't. If you're a believer and you're like, yeah, I was ransomed with the blood of Christ, whatever. I'm going to continue in the behavior I'm good with. I got nothing. So we're just going to take a moment, and some of you, this is going to be weird for you. Wait a minute, we've already prayed. We're in the middle of a sermon. Just keep talking. No, we're just, we're going to take time, and we're going to pause, and we are all going to individually reflect on the fact that if we are a believer, we have been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. And Peter says, knowing this impacts everything else. So there is no point in my mind in continuing this sermon if we are not in full awareness of the ransom of Christ's blood. Let's take a moment of silence. Lord, remind us, deeply remind us that we've been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. What a cost you poured out for us. How can we respond with anything other than total devotion? Forgive us for when we don't. So God, as we continue in your word, may it be so with hearts that know the precious blood that bought us our freedom and bought us the right to approach you, bought us the inheritance, the adoption into your family. May we know the price that was spent on us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Like I said, it's that simple. Ransom with the blood of Christ. Peter says this, knowing this. And he says, okay, so now let's back up, right? He says, knowing this, this impacts what I, I just said to you. What did he just say to the people in his letter? He says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially. And so if we've been ransomed with the blood of Christ, then we call on him as father. If I've been ransomed with the blood of Christ, if I've been adopted into God's family, if I've been redeemed, regenerated, if I'm a believer, then I call on God as Father. That is a right of the believer. I mean, that's a pretty cool... Like, I get to approach the throne room in total reverence and awe, but God is not some distant God. God is not some deistic watchmaker who started things in motion and then backed off. I get to call him Father. What a treasured fellowship that that is. But there's something that we need to know about our Father. Because I think a lot of times we are tempted to forget this. Our Father judges impartially. And believers don't skip that line. 
This isn't an amusement park. We don't have fast passes. We don't die and get to go blow right past the judgment seat. Now, we know what our outcome is. It says we will be judged to eternal life, but there is going to be a judgment of your life as a believer. And if you have deceived yourself or rather bought the deception of the enemy that this isn't going to happen, I think this explains a lot of why we neglect the calling on our lives as believers. Because we're like, no, wait, it's already been taken care of. I'm good and done. I'm gravy. I don't need to do anything different with my life now. No, we are going to face God the Father who judges impartially. Consider these verses. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10, he's writing to the church, to God's people. And he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can build, lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago in the sermon, we looked at that idea of we have all been called to build upon the foundation. The question was, what are you building upon the foundation? Are you actively engaged in building up the church? Are you actively engaged in building upon the foundation of Christ in your own life? But we stopped at those first couple of verses a couple weeks ago. This time, we're going to read the next thoughts that we see here. Again, speaking to the church. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because the day of judgment, the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Your work as a believer is going to be tested. It's going to be judged. I don't know about you, but as someone who's been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ... I don't want to stand before God and say, yeah, I just built with a couple twigs that burned up the moment they were tested. I want to give God my best. I want to give God my all. I need to remember that my work that I have built upon the foundation will be tested. And if you're a believer, yours will too. How's that test going to go? We got to consider these things. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Galatians 6, 4 and 5, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. When I'm before the judgment seat of God, who I call Father, who judges impartially, and he says, okay, Sam, let's evaluate your life, I don't get to say, I was good friends with Joe Curry, and he did some awesome building. God's going to say, great, when Joe Curry stands here, then we'll talk about Joe Curry's work. You're going to bear your own load, Sam. You all don't get to claim the work of a pastor you sat under. You don't get to claim the work of a church you were part of unless you were part of that work. We will be tested ourselves. We will bear our own load. 
And God judges impartially. Now, again, don't, don't miss this. Don't spiral into panic. What's it say in 1 Corinthians 3? He himself will be saved. Even if all our work burns up, even if I get to heaven, and it's like, man, you did nothing but build with worthless straw. Your work is burnt up. It says he himself will be saved. Do not, do not panic. Don't spiral. Don't allow this to detract you and get into a just blackened cloud of gloom, but allow this to be a reality that we are aware of that we will stand before God and be evaluated for what we have done as believers. Revelation 20:12 and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened then another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done God judges us all fairly I want to be able to stand before him and tell him I gave him my all There are days where I don't do this perfectly there are days where I don't even do this well but when you look at your life as a whole, how is that testing in 1 Corinthians 3 going to go? I mean, do you not want to give everything to Christ? What excuse that we possibly use in this life is going to feel legitimate when we stand before Jesus? Really think about that. Jesus, I know you died on the cross and spilled your precious blood for my redemption, but I was tired. We can't overlook this aspect of the life of the believer. Don't you want to give your best? Don't you want to give your all? I know I do. And that's why I need the church to help hold me accountable, to push me, to challenge me. But we have to know this verse. And then he goes on and he gives the, or the, the second thought to this. He says, okay, so if this is going to happen, and if you, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, if you call on him as father, what's he go on to say? He says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. See, because knowing the cost, what we looked at first, impacts how we respond to what God has done. Roger Raymer, in his commentary on 1 Peter, says it this way. He says, The high cost of salvation, the beloved Son's precious blood, calls for believers to live in reverent fear before God. Holy living is motivated by a God-fearing faith which does not take lightly what was purchased at so great a cost. Does your life take lightly the great cost of Jesus' blood? This is a question I ask myself constantly. Do my conversations, do the way I interact with the world, do the way I engage in my own personal life, my own personal discipleship, my time with Scripture, my prioritization of God, does my behavior take lightly the great cost of Christ's blood? It's a sobering thought. But when we ask this question, then we can pursue a holy answer to that question. So he says, conduct yourselves in fear throughout the time of your exile. Wait a minute, you're thinking. There's a verse in the Bible that says perfect love casts out all fear. You're absolutely correct. Well done on your Bible knowledge. So what is he talking about here? Because the, the, does the Bible contradict itself? No, not at all. 
There are two kinds of fear. Perfect love casts out that panic fear, that worry fear, that anxiety fear, that fear that God's not in control, that fear that God's not good enough, that fear that God's not big enough. That's what it's talking about. That fear of approaching him. I don't like to approach his throne when I've sinned and need to repent. But I can approach his throne in repentance without fear, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive. That's the fear that perfect love casts out. So when he's here talking about conduct yourselves without fear, it's a different kind of fear. It is a God-honoring fear that Raymer's getting at when he uses words like reverence, motivated by God. This is what good God-honoring fear is. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. What is acceptable worship? I won't ask for hands up, but I know everyone who was here last week read Romans 12 this past week, because that was a chapter that we all were going to read this past week. And when you read Romans 12 this past week, you would have read Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What is this God-honoring fear that Peter talks about? Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. It is a life entirely submitted to the worship of God and to his service with reverence, not with casual indifference, not with comfortability that borders on just obliviousness. There's a phrase, anybody familiar with, this is like old church history, anybody familiar with the phrase quorum Dio? That would have been really cool if somebody was, but I didn't expect. You want to be a pastor, you should have known it. Come on, Joe. <laughs> Learn Latin. Uh, Latin, Joe, quorum Dio means in the face of God. And I'm just kidding. I didn't expect Joe to know Latin. But I like to give Joe a hard time. Quorum Dio. It means in the face of God. And it was this idea that ancient church fathers used to describe the type of life we are to live. Where we are to live our life continually before the presence of the Lord God Almighty. Sproul describes it this way. He says, The phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. To live quorum Dio is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. Living under divine sovereignty involves more than a reluctant submission to sheer sovereignty that is motivated out of a fear of punishment. That's that unholy fear. It involves recognizing that there is no higher goal than offering honor to God. Our lives are to be living sacrifices offered in a spirit of adoration and gratitude. This is quorum Dio. This is holy fear. This is how we are to conduct ourselves in the days of our exile. Now he's writing to literal exiles, 
who have been forcibly removed from their home. We are, in a sense, spiritual exiles. What does it say in Hebrews? That our citizenship is in heaven. We are called God's ambassadors. An ambassador is not from the place... I don't know if ambassador can be turned into a verb. But an ambassador is not from the place where they serve as an ambassador. Our citizenship is in heaven. So in the time of our exile, in this earth, in these bodies, are we conducting ourselves with fear? Well, maybe not. But I'm a believer. Isn't that enough? I mean, like, maybe, yeah, okay, I'm not burning with zeal for God, but I'm not antagonistic towards him. Like, isn't, I mean, calm down, Sam. Well, let's look at what God says about this. Again, this past week, we all read Jeremiah 2. And in reading Jeremiah 2, you would have read verse 19. This is God speaking to his people. Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. It's entirely possible to be a believer who's not living in fear of God. And God takes major issue with that. What's the flip side? Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. How are they at peace? They are undergoing intense persecution, martyrdom. What has already happened in Acts literally says intense persecution rose against the church and they were scattered. It says they lived at peace and they multiplied. So in the worst of times, the church thrived? What? They walked in fear of the Lord. As the church today, are we walking in fear of the Lord? of the Lord. Does the church conduct itself quorum Dio? Do you? You are the church. So if you want to answer, does the church do this? You got to start by looking in the mirror and saying, do I do this? Do I live in the presence of God before the face of God, every day submitting out of reverence and awe to who He is, offering myself as living sacrifice? Peter reminds the church of this. We're given this word to remind us of this today. I've said this time and time again, and I will always say this, God is so kind and so good because He doesn't just lay things like this out and then leave us on our own to figure it out. Because if you're like me, I'm reading through this. I'm like, okay, I, I need to conduct myself in, myself in fear. Lord, do you have any other direction on this? Help me with this. I know my propensity to selfishness, to a life of comfortability, to a life of ease. I'm used to this schedule. I'm used to this way of doing things. I don't want to change. God, do you, do you have any further direction? And he does. Time and time again in his word, he helps us understand how do we conduct ourselves in fear, proper God-honoring fear. So for, for the remainder of the message, I just if you're someone who you want that practical, give me something, these are all the, not all, but these are many places where God talks about what does it mean to conduct yourself in fear. Genesis 22:12, he said, do not lay your hand on the boy, do not do anything to him. 
For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This is Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was prepared to literally sacrifice his son because it was what God asked of him. He says, no, 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 you don't have to do this because now I see that you do fear me because you were willing to sacrifice for me. So the question, believer, is, okay, am I willing to sacrifice for God? Is being a father a good thing? Mike, your son is sitting next to you. Is that a good thing? Yeah. How do you think Abraham would have answered that question? Who desperately wanted a son and at an advanced age finally gets a son. You think Abraham would have said, man, this is a good thing? I think so. Yeah, God, I'll sacrifice the bad stuff. The movies, the shows filled with trash, right? Treating people terribly. I'll sacrifice the bad stuff. Are you willing to sacrifice something that might be good? Are you willing to sacrifice something that might be good, that has been given to you by God to be enjoyed? Living in fear means I am willing to sacrifice for the Lord and His glory and His work. Exodus 20.20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. This isn't eradication. 1 John makes it abundantly clear that we do not become perfect. If anyone says he's without sin, he deceives himself. But can you look at your life and see a decrease in sin? Can you look at your life and see your holiness increasing? If we say things like, well, there's just one sin that I can't break. There's just, you know, just, there's just like two sinful habits that I just return to time and time again. Well, has been there any growth? Has there been any growth? Has there been any change? Living in fear of God means walking less and less and less in sin as we become more and more like Jesus. Deuteronomy 10, 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Fear of the Lord looks like obedience. Plain and simple. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. I obey God very well. All right, we're going to start with the number one broken commandment. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Do you have a weekly Sabbath in your life that is set aside for God? Well, no, okay, of course you went there. Look, we're in the middle of this sports season. Oh, okay, so God's commands are seasonal? N no, but you know what? Guys, obedience. Again, I don't do it perfectly. None of you do it perfectly. Your elders don't do it perfectly. But this is what fear looks like, obedience to God's word. Not picking and choosing which passages are easy to obey, but saying, I will obey and submit to the entirety of it. This is walking in fear of the Lord. Psalm 33.8, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. And if you look at the entirety of Psalm 33, it's talking about creation. It's talking about His world. Especially the verses right before and right after, it's talking about the majesty of the created world. So this is an easy one. I, I mean, are you amazed by the world around you? 
Do you love God's creation? And do you use it to motivate you and to drive you to a place of worship of God? This is a very practical one that we could, we could apply as soon as we walk out the doors. We walk out the doors and we look up and we see a blue sky and we say, well, wait a minute, God didn't have to create colors. God didn't have to create anything visual. He did this out of his creativity. He did this out of his kindness. Lord, I praise you for that. That's a simple one. Begin there. If you struggle with this, begin with awe and amazement at what he has done. And if you've ever held a baby, you know what it is to be in awe of his creation. That is fear of the Lord. That should mark our lives. Psalm 112.1, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 138.2, You have exalted above all things your name and your word. God puts his word on the same level as his name. He says, You've exalted above all things your name and your word. We cannot revere God if we do not revere his word. That might sound really harsh. But if we are not someone who delights in God's word, we are missing out on an essential component of the fear of God. Lord, I revere you. I'm in awe of you. I just don't really want to hear from you. I'm too busy for it. I've got better things to do with my time. I've got more enjoyable things to do with my time. Does that sound like reverence? Does that sound like fear? You want to know where you stand in terms of fearing God? Look at your relationship with Scripture. Is Scripture the first thing to get bumped from your schedule? Do you know God's Word? Have you hidden it in your heart? Do you meditate on it day and night? Is your delight in His commands? This is what fear of God looks like. It's not optional. Jesus, I know you died for me. You got to understand, I was may, way more of a, a history guy than an English guy. I'm just not a big fan of reading. So I know you died for me, but, you know, that's just not my favorite thing to do. That's why I didn't spend time with your word. Fear of the Lord is delighting in the law, the word of the Lord. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. Do we hate sin? And before we start pointing fingers at the world around us, do we hate the sin in our own lives? I mean, I'm talking about a hatred of sin. Fear of the Lord is hatred of sin. Ephesians 5, 15 and 21, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Fear of God is reverence. Reverence for Christ looks like a heart for his bride. Joe, man, I, I, I picked on you earlier. It's because I love you deeply. I want to serve you. I want to do something for you to express my love for you. Joe says, great. You know, could you do something for Leanna this week? 
not a big fan of your bride. I just don't have time for her. I want to serve you. Well, yeah, I mean, the way you can serve me is doing something for my bride. Well, I'll leave that for somebody else then. Fear of the Lord. You can't remove the church from it. You can't remove the bride from it. How are you submitted to this body of believers? You serving? Well, no, I, I don't want to miss out on the service. That's awesome. I love that you don't. But everybody sitting in here is able to sit in here because there are people back there in the kids' wing who are not in here. They are submitting to this body so that you can be in here. I don't want you back there every week. I don't want them back there every week. I don't like that we have people who are back there three Sundays out of the month. But they are back there three Sundays out of the month, four Sundays out of the month, because there are people in here, forgive me for how blunt this is going to be, there are people in here unwilling to be back there. Are you submitted to this body in reverence for Christ? I'm not saying everybody needs to be in the kids' wing. Maybe you can serve in the sound booth. Maybe you can serve on the worship team. I mean, like, whatever it may be. Maybe you can serve as a trustee. But if you are not serving this body, how are you submitted to them? What is your heartbeat for the church, for the bride of Christ? Does it reflect a holy fear, a reverence for Christ? I'm too busy for prayer. I'm too busy for Bible studies. I'm too busy for work days. I'm too busy to serve on Sunday mornings. Does that look like reverence for the bride of Christ? Or is that my schedule comes before all your schedules? And this will dictate how I engage with your bride, Jesus. This is part of fear of the Lord. God lays these things out. So if we're evaluating, do I walk in fear of the Lord? Do I live quorum Dio? Go through these lists and ask Him to reveal where we need to grow. So this week as we consider this, because then he goes on to say, and it's beautiful, the conclusion, he says, look, he says, knowing this, that you were ransomed with the blood of Christ, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The conclusion of all of this, even those hard challenges of am I walking in fear, is meant to be joy. It's meant to be hope. I can think of no greater privilege than to be part of the church, than to be a son of God. So this isn't meant to be burdensome. This is meant to be an honor. This week we're going to read 1 Samuel 12, Psalm 34. Ecclesiastes 12 and Jeremiah 3 and 44. We've got cards for you by the door. If you're not one to take a picture, write it down. Make sure you grab one. And then the application, this idea of applying the fear of the Lord. What's one thing you could sacrifice for God? Genesis 22:12. What is something you could sacrifice for God this week? Maybe it's a meal. Maybe you sacrifice lunch on one day and you spend that time in prayer. Maybe you were going to eat dinner out Thursday night. And instead you say, no, you know what? We'll make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and that 20, 30, 40 bucks, we'll give to God. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's time-wise. Maybe it's service-wise. Maybe you're like, man, I could weed my neighbor, like my, I could weed my front garden beds, 
but I've got an elderly neighbor who lives across the street and I know they're physically incapable of it, I'm going to go serve them instead. What is something that you could sacrifice for the Lord this week? Then do it. Take a walk and see how many things you can praise God for that you observe on your walk. I mean, that's an easy one. Who doesn't love going outside? Don't raise your hand. That would, be, that would bum me out. I love going outside. I love taking a walk. I love spending time in nature. My favorite thing about nature is the wind. Because there are days where the wind has just absolutely refreshed me. I was mowing my lawn the other day. It was hot. I was sweating. And then a breeze came along, and it felt so cool and refreshing. And I stop in that moment, and I say, Lord, your word says that you renew my soul, that you renew my spirits, that you lift me up. Lord, thank you for refreshing me. I have been knocked over by wind. I have lived in two different towns that were hit by hurricanes, and I have been bowled over by the wind. Lord, thank you for your reminder of how powerful you are. I praise you for your might. I've gone sailing and I have relied on the wind to move me where I need to be. Lord, thank you for guiding me and leading me. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to propel me forward. So go for a walk, go gardening. But when you're outside, Psalm 33, 8, let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Practice these things. Prayer ideas apply the ax model that we've taught about. If you don't know what I'm talking to, go watch the sermon on January 4th of, or 24th of this year. And then apply the ax model of prayer to these passages from 1 Peter. And then the connect idea is we seek to grow this body, to build this body. Reach out to someone else from this body and say, hey, how you doing? What'd you think of the sermon? What stood out to you? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Whatever your conversation leads to, invest in one another. We don't want to be a Sunday church. We want to be a seven-day-a-week church. And if the only time you're talking to these people is on Sunday, guess what? That ain't it. Connect with one another. Pursue one another. Pursue this body out of reverence for Christ. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you're so good. You are so good. And we owe you our everything. We have been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Knowing this, we desire to conduct ourselves in fear of you. Teach us how to do so. Equip us how to do so. Lead us in fear of you. We need you desperately for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and it's for Jesus that we want to do everything. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.